Um, hello? Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm Keanu Kooku. Hello, aloha Keanu. Um, I just want to say I'm sorry if I pronounce anything incorrectly. I'm not fluent in Hawaiian in any way. Oh, no problem, no problem. Very, very yeah. understandable, very understandable. Yeah. So, um, welcome. And there's two accounts because one is recording and the other one is for a better microphone. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So, um, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine, thank you very much. Um, busy. <laughs> um, yeah, but bet. great. With my Yes, yes. Yeah, I saw in an interview you did with Great Big Story that it takes around four to three months to prepare for it. Oh, um, actually, it takes a lot more. Um, the dancing part to figure out what we're going to do on stage as far as, you know, teaching, um, perfecting the, the performance, yeah, it takes about four months, four or five months even. Um, but the preparation starts right after the previous year, so it takes about a year to prepare for the next. That's a long time. Yeah, and, and a lot of commitment. Um, and and a lot of people think that we dedicate our t most of our time to Mary Monarch. Um, it's a big chunk. It is definitely a big chunk, but we also have. You know, our own jobs, our other classes, um, and our daily things that we do in the halal, in our personal lives, as well as in our other jobs, yeah. Yeah, it's not just the festival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and one of your students, most recently, one of your students won the Miss Aloha Hula Award. And I right, think it's right. an achievement for your halal to have three Miss Aloha Hulas. Yes, yes, yes. We're, we're very blessed um, and I like to consider us very lucky um, being that there's so much, so many um, very, very good dancers now. Um, and so what I tell people is, you know, you put numbers and names and throw them up in the air and where it lands, it lands. So I, I consider us our, ourselves very lucky and at the same time very blessed. Um, Yes, we, we work hard, the dancers work hard, but everybody does. So, you know, the effort that we're putting in, I'm sure everybody else is putting in the same effort or maybe even more, um, more or less, but still everybody works hard. So, um, yeah, I, if there's any way I would feel would be blessed and lucky, for sure. What does it take to become a kumu? What does it take to become a teacher and to teach the knowledge of hula? Um, that's a difficult question because I think many people think there's only one way, like like if you want to be a doctor, you go to school for so many years, um, you do your residency, and, and there's all these qualifications in being a doctor. Um, with hula, there there's no set kind of education. Um, it depends on the school that you come from, um, the philosophies that 
from where you come from, um, where you come from, even in location. For me, I it took years and years and years and years. Uh, my kum all I have three kumu um, or three hula teachers, the sources of my hula, and all three have said it takes many years for um, for somebody to become a kumuhula. Um, I never thought and, and I never thought that I would ever be a kumuhula. Um, there are so many hula students uh, from where I come from and not everyone gets a chance to be a kumuhula. In ancient times you were chosen um, and reared from from you know a young child to be a kumuhula and uh, the master saw something in you or prophesied something uh, about you and from there you were reared into being a kumuhula it's not as so now um, now it's the skillful the knowledgeable the spiritual um, that I think uh, I wouldn't say I, I don't feel comfortable saying that is or would be appropriate to become a kumuhula I just think it depends on the the, the kumuhula the source um, so my kumu decided you're ready yeah or I'm ready and from there she started to train us to be uh, just a few of us to be ready to teach um, and uh, yeah, it's so hard when you ask the question, what does it take? Uh, just speaking from my own experience, I think uh, it takes not just one set of answers. Right. And, and everybody, every different school or every all knowledge doesn't come from one school. And we have a saying, which means all knowledge doesn't come from one school. So every school of thought really um, differs. There are kumuhula that have been that the halau or the kuleana or responsibility of being a kumu um, was passed down via, you know, the kumu passed away and therefore the next person, the alaka'i, may take over, or whoever they designate may take over the hula school or the halau. Um, fam familially, when a parent is a kumuhula and maybe they're passing it down, they, they decide they want to uh, retire and pass it down to either one of their students or their son or daughter or, or family member. Um, then there's a ceremonial rite of passage, which we call uniki, um, where there's a ceremony. Um, and for me, I went through an uniki ceremony. So my kumu decided we were ready to teach um, and we had the skills to become a kumuhula. So she prepared us to go in front of what we call Luna Loi Loi or um, a panel of, um, not, I don't want to say judges, but a panel of distinguished kumuhula that would give us the rite of passage 
to become a kumuhula. So they would basically say yes or no depending on our performance um, during the ceremony. Um, and so we went through that. Myself, Lono Padilla, who is my partner um, in both life and in the halal, um, and uh, and his aunt Ulalia Woodside. Um, I come from three different kumuhula. I come from Johnny Lamho, Ray Fonseca, both from Hilo, and Hokulani Hote from Maui. And Hokulani Hote is who graduated me or unikid me um, along with her son Lono Padilla who is my partner um, and her sister Ulalia Woodside so all three of us that question how do we become a kumuhula I think all three of us have different um, answers to that um, but I think that another Olelo Noeo or um, uh, knowledgeable saying is Ikeya no Kaloea Ikekuahu or the altar is, oh, I'm sorry, the um, expert is judged by the altar that it builds. So basically, the proof is in the pudding. Um, and you're as good, your halal is as good as you are and as you make it. Yeah, and, and your works will speak for itself. So I think that's the main thing. That's the main thing at, in this day and age is that those who are appropriately um, preserving, practicing, and moving hula forward, um, that's, that's basically how I think one becomes a kumuhula. And it's not just if you're a good dancer or just because you can make pretty lays or costumes, but all it's all encompassing for sure. It's all one big circle. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you also mentioned that one of your kumus was Johnny Lamho. I really love his work and I see um, how his men is and how fast they are. If you um, the Miss Aloha Hula for 2001, her work was incredible. All Miss Aloha Hula's work was incredible. And every single halal, they give everything they got into those performances. Right, right. Um, so Natasha, um, Oda, I actually chanted with my kumu for her. So there are three of us in her Miss Aloha Hula performance. Um, I'm in the middle of both my kumu and Uncle Cavello. And I helped her get ready for Miss Alohohula. Um, that's when I still lived in Hilo, back in, at home. Um, a year later, I moved to Oahu. But yeah, Uncle Johnny is amazing. Uncle Johnny is absolutely amazing. He, his, his mind and his heart is just overflowing with not just knowledge, but insight and imagination. Um, and, and I'd like to think of it as vision. He has vision and he wants his vision to come through. Um, not just come true, but come through to, to affect the audience. And that's one of the things that I learned from Uncle Johnny. Um, yeah, the year that Tosh ran, that was, um, <coughs> excuse me, 
And that was um, 2001. We just went back after a, what was it, five-year break. Um, the Halal just went back. That would have been, that was the first time I danced with Uncle Johnny um, at the Merry Monarch. And then I went two times later um, after that. Um, but yeah, it's he's amazing. He's amazing. And I'm, mahalo, mahalo nui for really recognizing the brilliance that he is. And I'm not saying that just because he's my kumuhula, but even before I danced for him, I just, he just amazed me. His dancers were, the girls were so beautiful. The men were so strong. Um, vivid pictures he painted on that stage. Um, yeah. yeah, with me, with any cultures, as a person who is somewhat indigenous, I've learned that I need to respect other cultures and the people who are preserving them and teaching on them. Especially since history has shown that hula, it was banned at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was seen as unfortunately savage and barbaric when yeah. in reality it's really beautiful. And I Absolutely. Labeling it like that. Absolutely. And I think that um, we see that now in our in our times now and although hula is open and it is open to practice hula and it is um, safe to practice hula, I think in many other things um, misinterpretation, misunderstanding um, really does damage to cultures. Um, hula, the reasoning that hula was banned and um, you know taken underground because it didn't really stop. Um, it was just taken underground and practiced in, in hiding. Um, but I think there are so many things that we don't allow our truest, most genuine, authentic practices to to be um, to be practiced authentically and genuinely. It's because of what we make society to be, and the things that we adopt from other um, from honestly colonizers. Um, and it gets yeah, really touchy in this day and age when you talk about um, colonizing because uh, it's not as open. I, I don't think that it's as open, but it's still practiced. Yeah, which is why, um, especially with the image that Hula has got with like the grass skirts and the costumes, it's why I try to educate on what real Hula is and the work and dedication and years Thank you. Thank you. Um, for someone not of our culture to to do that, um, I, I really mahalo people who at some point their admiration for, for hula or Hawaiian culture comes from the romanticized or even um, the commercialized version of hula that we we already know but if we can utilize that commercialization um to tell an authentic story or um an authentic perspective awesome and and again we have to mahalo people that have those platforms like yourself um and interested in the the truth 
I guess, if you will, um, or the truth as we know it, or as it has affected us, um, I have to mahalo people um, for, for that. So, mahalo nui. Um, yeah. Um, also, I also noticed that there are a lot of instruments that um, come in hula. Can you explain some of them? Um, sure. So, <clears throat> we have implements and instruments. Um, the difference is instruments we, we would consider what like a musician would, would utilize. Um, and some of those instruments, actually I have some of them here. Like the pohu drum. Uh, here, this is a, a smaller version or a lapaiki. Um, and this, uh, bigger versions of the pahu were considered ceremonial for ceremonial use so used used in the heo used for ceremony and in hula um, there are certain kinds of hula steps that we use certain kinds of um, protocols we use when we're doing a hula pahu um, and the chanter or the ho'opa'a would would beat the the drum appropriately uh, certain foot movements would be used, certain body movements would be used. Um, there are certain restrictions that go along with hula pahu. Um, there's also the ipu. Let me see if I have, I have a smaller ipu. Like this, um, which is a gourd. I'm sorry? I call it the gourd instrument. It's yeah. Like kind of so gourd. this gourd is called the ipu. Um, the ipu is can be considered an instrument and an implement. So an implement would be um, for the dancers to possibly use as well. So the implement uh, chanters use as well as the dancers. Um, we have up oh, here kuniu. Um, this is another type of drum. It's a knee drum. You tie it on your, your around your knee, and you use a a ka to to play it. I'm so glad I'm in this corner. So all of my implements are here. <laughs> yeah, um, and then we have um, the uli uli. Um, so the uli uli usually with feathers, right, or something yes. like that. So this is one that we've um, crafted. And see, we utilize the um, authentic ways of making implements, um, but sometimes. You know, there are easier, um, more productive, more effective um, ways like shoestring. <laughs> um, so our people were very, um, they were very good with adapting, very good with uh, improvisions um, and creative. And so they used what they, they had and, and nowadays we have a lot. so. We try to we try to use as authentic um, materials as possible, but if we find something works a little bit better, 
for practical purposes, we'll use it. So this is an uli uli. Materials. I read in an article that your halal stated that due to the rapid ohia lehua death that um in the twenty that in the coming year monarchs you wouldn't use it to protect and save it. Absolutely. So for us that's devastating. It's very very devastating. Um, and I think for hula people in general, not just our halal. And so one of our very dear friends, another kumuhula, once made a comment to me that we need to reflect our forest and if our forest is in peril so are we um, and so in doing so um, and, and then also keep you know putting out the awareness for other people who wouldn't know the importance of lehua um, to stay out of the forests to not track this um, potential virus um, don't pick it don't don't pick the blossom don't pick the blossom, even even going into the forest, even going into the forest because um, some of these trees, broken branches, some of the dust that um, these little beetles um, tend to cause because they're, they, they drill into the, the dead trees and cause this dust, this dust lands everywhere and can be tracked from our cars, from our shoes. Um, going into the forest, we just basically play uni universal precaution and um, ask people not to. And if they if they absolutely have to, to make sure that they are um, cleaning themselves once they come out of the forest so as not to take them to another area. Um, but for us, for us, we don't use lehua simply because of the optical um, the optics of it all. Um, when we go ahead and wear lehua, even though we know how to pick it, we know how to take care of it, we know how to take care of our forests, not everybody else does. Um, so to not just make a statement, but to really follow that philosophy that we are um, just as in peril and we need to reflect the peril that our um, forests are in, then if they are a couple, we need to be couple as well. Or, or if they they are restricted, then we should be able to to practice that restriction as well. Um, how how would I better put it? Um, when people go on the Mary Monarch stage and you see. 35 dancers with all these beautiful red lehua lays Mentally you don't think you you don't think that it's a big deal because like Look at all these lay everything must be okay. Everything is still not okay um, For me, it was very depressing because I come from Hawaii Island Which is the island that is known for lehua. Um, it's also the island that has the most cases of Rapid Ohia death. Um, I grew up making lehua lei, and although it's not a big deal for some, for me it, it was. I'm a lei maker, um, and so I know the symbolisms in hula in our culture, um, and it's not just the aesthetic <clears throat> that I, I yearn for in the lehua, um, but it's the inspirational, it's the symbolic, it's the metaphoric. 
Um, and so for me, I, I've cried many a tears in the last, you know, five years. I think we, we kind of went on the ban in 2016. Um, and there was about two years ago, there was a moment where I just realized I may never in this lifetime ever make another lehuale. And that was, that was profound for me. And, and it just, my emotions just took over me and I, I sobbed like a little baby because it was such a huge part of my hula. It was such a huge part of my growing up. Um, it is such a huge part of our ecosystem. Um, and aside from the hula and the emotional draw that I have, there's a practical um, awareness that I want people to know that our watersheds are, are, are um, at risk. You know, our, our ecosystem, our native Hawaiian birds, this is a canopy tree. This is probably the most important canopy tree in our native Hawaiian forests. Um, yeah. All of the other native Hawaiian plants under it depend on it for its shade, for its um, nurturing um, and nutrition, uh, for its water that it draws. And so if this tree was to, to just disappear, so would the rest of our forest. Yeah, and I do kind of agree with that because I follow someone on TikTok who is Kanaka Maole and she talks about um, the fact that the ecosystem in Hawaii is endangered. Um, specifically right now, the Maui Forest Bird Group is proposing to take a bunch of the kiwi kiwi birds and take them to the mainland where they're not going to have the resources to survive and they don't have experience caring for those birds. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think it's really distressing that people they're coming to Hawaii and they're traveling and not being ethical tourists and they're causing the destruction of all that. I mean, if you don't have a strict infrastructure for, for the, the, our ecosystem, our environment, in our gut, not just in our um, native um, you know, communities, but in our government, if you don't have that kind of strict um, infrastructure the visitors don't care um, and and especially if and, and sometimes some of them are it's not that they don't care some of them just completely unaware completely unaware and, and it's not their fault you know so I think like I said I, it's not really their fault it's more of just poor information not being spread sure. Sure. Well, I, I think that there's there's enough blame to go around. Um, natives, um, government, um, in, information, awareness, tourists, visitors, because there are, you know, places where signs are put up and signs are ignored. Um, and people are just downright, but both um, tourists and locals are downright the the words that I like to or the phrase that I like to use is staunch individualism staunch individualism 
and that's the our down the downfall of our whole society um, when Mimi I I we call this Mimi I I in Hawaii everything is about me 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 I I I that's actually kind of funny a little bit like I know the topic is serious but just me 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 I I I yeah me 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 I I I I I um, and we forget about the community and what people don't realize is that we're, we live on an island we have to be resourceful and our resources are very limited um we live on small islands not not humongous continents and even and and if that's any example even in the on the continent things that uh, you know the everglades the um the oh i can't remember the uh, oh lake mead i look at all those things and 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 all these fires all over california and i'm like that is our doing. I that agree. Is... I actually live in California and I do agree. It's part of us not taking care of our wildlife and doing what we need to. to Absolutely. Flammable material that we're not doing anything with it. We're not taking care of it. So I think that our fires and the fact that California is on fire every year, I feel like part of it is our responsibility. It is. It's not... absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's why I love our culture and I love our cultural practices because the most authentic, untouched, um, as closest to the original Hawaiian worldview um, practices that are being practiced, our um, the Hawaiian worldview's understanding is community-based. Community-based, everything is nothing's for the individual it's about the ohana the family all that it's not just the family it's not just the fa it's the community so mm -hmm. um in the beginning of covid or, or like in august when we hawaii had the big jump in our um covid cases a bunch of kumuhula came together um to form this group uh, called Huamakahikina, and we practice our cultural practice of kapu, of restriction, and we do this in halau um, when we have big ceremonies or have competitions, and we do this for focus, we do this for better um, health, and so we go on restrictions, and we go on um, restrictions that are um, nutrition, that include nutrition, um, go on restrictions that include, you know, spiritual um, gains, um, intellectual gains, metaphoric um, things that apply. And so with this COVID, why not? That, that this was very important and, and very appropriate. So each halau, each kumuhula made their own set of rules for their halal and and the whole halal went on this restriction it was such a great way to reset um aside from the the regular cultural practice um couple or restrictions um or encouragements we also included the um health and safety precautions for covid um metaphoric cultural um la'au la'pa'au or healing 
that affected the different um, symptoms of COVID. And so it was a positive way. <coughs> Excuse me. It was, that was a positive way to address, um, give our positive energies to, and try and effectively heal ourselves. And not just physically, you know, mentally, psychologically, uh, economically. Um, but we couldn't just do this within our, our halal and we weren't doing it just for ourselves. We were doing it for the greater community, our, not just our families. We didn't in, just include our families. We took it out and told people, if you want to do this, come join us. Um, this is not for, for me. This is not for Keanu Kaupu and Halau Hi'iakai na Makalehua um, or our families. This is for everybody. And this is not just so everybody can participate, but this is for everybody. We're sacrificing all the things that we, sure, we'd love to see our, our families. We'd love to see um, our friends and gather and, but we went through that couple so that we could be an example um, as well as show people that it works. It works, yeah. you know, um, community-based thinking works. If I do for you and um, I do for other people, instead of just doing for me, we take care of more people. And you know how many people would be doing for me? That, that mentality, um, like how they say um, it takes a village to raise a child. It does. It takes a, it, it takes a village. It takes a village to maintain a culture. It takes more than a village. It takes the whole culture to maintain it. So as long as we have people that are fighting against um, our cultural practices or um, the Hawaiian worldview, even if they are native, yeah, especially if they're native, it just makes it harder for the rest of us who are 300% participatory. I do agree with that. And by Ohana, I meant like the community, not just families. I meant as in like the whole community. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, I would like to mention while we're on the topic of that, what did you, um, I saw Kelly Kalina, um, sorry, um, Kaylee Carr's performance. What was her beautiful dress? Well done work. What was it made of? Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I actually created that for another student of mine um, who was running for a pageant, actually. She was running for a Miss Polynesia or South Pacific in New, Papua New Guinea. And that was like, I think, 2011. When she was finished with it, she basically said, I don't want it anymore. Do you want it? Um, I have no use for it. And I was like, of course I want it. Um, so what I did was I sewed feathers um, to resemble the the ahu, yeah, the um, the ahu ula rather, the feather cloaks of our chiefs. But as a top, because she's a vahine, um, I wanted to resemble that noble ali'i ness. 
Um, and so that was just something creative that I did. It's not a very traditional kind of top. Um, it's we use traditional methods, but it, it's definitely not. Um, it's... I do understand why you went with like the feather thing because um, I looked at, um, through Mary Monarch like flyers and her like chant and melee was about a Maui ruler, like an ancient Maui ruler, if I'm correct. Yeah, well, it, it's a lineage of Maui rulers, um, Maui Ali'i. Um, and Maui was said at one time to have the um highest yeah highest ranking ali'i um keo pu'olani uh, was a niaupio of a niaupio um marriage or union um which means the bloodline was the purest um but her so her top was definitely to resemble the nobility of that line um excuse me then her bottom or uh, her, her pa'u was made out of kapa um mm. or i've heard of kapa it you basically you have to pound it to it's basically made out of tree bark and you gotta pound it yes yes how long it's does it take out... for that i feel like something like that would take a long time oh for yeah like that piece was a, a that piece was a very large piece so that yeah. took um that took almost a year to to prepare um and then you know uh, about two weeks to die because even dyeing it you you need to be really careful you can't just dunk it in water or else it'll just start to disintegrate um mm. so we've had to we tried we tried painting on it with with the dye and that took forever so then we Ooh. took a spray bottle and see this is this is what I'm talking about being creative. Hawaiians are very creative, so we took a spray bottle with the natural dye and sprayed it on. Um, did it and had to do it in the in sunny weather, so that it was it would go on, set in, dry really quickly. Um, and then the painting um, or the stamping. That that I think was the 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 easiest thing because it, it's fairly simple with the ohekapala, um, but yeah, it took a while. It took a long time. Um, yeah, and, I bet, and also at the beginning when she was chanting and stuff, she went super duper fast. So she did an oli kepa kepa, um, and that is how would you describe it? Um, part of the characteristics of an Oli Kepa Kepa is that it's done quick. Um, mm. And it's usually meant for very long chants. Her chant, we didn't finish the whole chant because of time. Oh, what? Yeah, the, her chant, that was uh, two and a half, no, three pages um, of chant. There was like two and a half more pages. Oh. Jeez, that's a lot. Yeah, and actually... Yeah, no, and I'm amazed that she was able to do that, and I praised her for that. Yeah, so, so it, it was great. Um, it did show um, great stamina, great breathing, um, yeah. great pronunciation. 
Um, it got to a point where, and this is something that people don't understand, but we do as hula practitioners. One of the goals for our kumu is so that the, the students um, at some point supersedes you or, or exceeds um, your capabilities. That That's when we know that, okay, you did something great. You, you, you're making... You're lifting up hula by lifting up the standard, right? And and as as teachers, our time in the spotlight, or as a dancer or a chanter, it's 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 now our kuleana or our our responsibility is to teach. Um, with our dancers their responsibility is to practice or perform and the best way to show our own growth as kumuhula is to see the growth in your students so there was a point where i realized and i turned to lona and i said she's better than me and he goes yeah she is <laughs> and i was like so remember you remember this day because this is when she just got better than me and so you know it felt good it felt so good because we were doing our job you know we were we were when you see your student exceed you it's not i'm i'm not jealous about it i'm so happy that I I taught you that, and you and I and our relationship as a student and a teacher um, created this magic, and so I couldn't be more happier for her. Um, win or lose, whether she won the oli or or the title, you know I think that the win happens before any of the dancers hit the stage. For sure. Yeah. I um, also want to mention that there's two different types of hula. There's, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, there's Kiyako, which is basically ancient hula, and then there's Awana, which is modern. Yeah, Kahiko, um, which we, we now term Kahiko, or Kahiko just means old um, or ancient. Um, and then Awana, Awana means to wander. And so the hula awana was basically when we started to transition into Western music um, and Western influences. Uh, I shouldn't say Western influences because we have kahiko, hula kahiko that are part of the monarchial era, which was very Westernized. Um, it, it has to do more with the music. Um, and the musicianship. So kahiko, you would use more of our um, ancient or, or traditional hula instruments to cause the, the, the percussion. And then for the awana, um, that's when we start to blend in more of the ukulele and the 
guitar, piano, and um, yes, Western. Yes, I definitely heard the piano and some awanas. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to pick one, which one would you say you like more to teach or practice? Oh, um, gosh, that's a hard question. I, oh, I don't know. Like, I think I like to teach Kahiko more. Um, but I love dancing Awana. like both and i feel like they both have different energies to them. oh yeah for sure yeah and either way both um, they, um i heard that um also in your great big story interview that um hula dancers they get really bad knees so oh absolutely yep. absolutely um yeah the things that i could do before I can never do now and it's because of the things that I could do before <laughs> that I can't do it now <laughs> um, my, I, I I tell people I can do it one time a day yeah one time if I do it more than one time I won't be able to walk tomorrow um, but you know and, and how does an aging uh, more matured body able to teach the style that I, I I know to dance yeah like Uncle Johnny's style is very low um, very fast very fast a lot of up and downs drop to the grounds rope back rolls and back bends um, rolling and and all of these really you know just Wow, movements. I can do it. I'm sure I'll kill myself, but I'll do it. <laughs> um, and and how do I teach my students to do that? It takes a lot of creativity because I can't, I depend on them a lot. Um, because I can't physically do what I need them to do because they can't, I cannot teach them how to dance like me now. Um, or I'll still be dancing like a middle-aged man. <laughs> um, I need them to, to dance like the 22-year-old me. You know, and so how do you do that? You have your expectations, you show them as best as you can, and you, the next generation, you use them. Yeah. You used the generation before, so we have a few that are still with us that have our strong, have the strong style, um, and so we no longer are the bodies; they are. Yeah, and then again, it's only when we get really mad that adrenaline kicks in, and um, all of a sudden, the things you could do with your body. Um, which happens, you know, every now and then when I'm like, this is how you're supposed to do it. And I'm dropping on the floor and doing back bends. And they're looking at me like, oh my goodness. <laughs> In the interview, you were like, why are you guys waiting? Oh, invitation, yeah. invitation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 
I am definitely the disciplinarian. <laughs> um, I expect a lot from my dancers. I expect excellence. Um, I and think that. Thank you. Thank you. I I I th I think so too. I think that, you know, not every hula is not for everybody. I'm just gonna no. put it out there. Hula is not for everybody, um, and not just physically, um, mentally and spiritually. Hula is not for everybody. I'm definitely not for everybody. Um, oh, my lady just. I am definitely not for everybody. I'm a strong, strong kumu. I am definitely my kumu's student. Uncle Johnny was a strong character. My knees can Sorry. never do that. My knees can never walk inches off the ground, so I don't think it's meant for me. And anyone who can do it properly between spiritually and physically, I praise you. You I know, I, I, I think the, the, the physical part is the easiest. Physical mm -hmm. part is the easiest. It's the getting your, training your mind um, to not take things personally. Um, training your mind to expect the unexpected. Training your, your um, heart to have passion. Um, for me, like people don't last very very long i mean we have like 200 students in hawaii and about 100 in japan um mm. but yeah. you know not everybody we're not for everybody and i i tell people immediately when they come into halal we're we're i'm not going to be for all of you at some point you may think that this is not the right place for you this is what i do this is what i do um it's not going to change. Um, this is what I expect. And if you can hang, you can hang. If not, then you got to go because I'm not. Yeah. And I also do want to mention that men, they do hula too. Like oh, yeah. Kumu. Yeah. I think that another um, way with hula is perceived, people think it's just women doing it when there are a lot of strong men doing it and i'm also equally amazed by them and the work that they're able to do sure sure yes absolutely um actually hula was predominantly done by men in in back in the day yeah uh post contact i mean pre-contact and um there's a lot of controversy where hula comes from and what came first the chicken or the egg or what came first lua or hula or hula or lua and i i, I think that if you ask hula people hula people will say hula if you ask lua people or hawaiian martial arts hawaiian martial arts people or lua people will say lua um i think they're they go hand in hand for sure um and um It was always our dream to open up a Kane Halau because we were, Lono and I, were Kane dancers. We danced in our men's line. Um, and so that's what our bodies naturally do. We had to train to learn how to move and teach women. Um, so. Because both Kane, I'm sorry, and Waine are, they're both different. The moves oh. and styles are different. So, the foot movements are pretty much the same. 
it's the execution that's different of course the women are a, a lot more um graceful i think that men have to be graceful as well but a lot more fluid um their hips and their hands move a little bit more um softer whereas men are a lot more strong and you know uh for our style at least um a lot more masculine than the than the women um and it, and it really does depend on the melee the the songs or the chants um what you want to invoke from that melee cuz there are melee with with um with the vahine that are strong and we need their strength um but for sure it it differs it differs um the men and the women yeah and also um if someone were wanting to start hula um what would be um the best thing for them to do if they do not have a halal that is anywhere near their area oh <laughs> so you're asking a very um uh, controversial question kind of it, it's kind of controversial because like i said i don't believe that hula is for everyone um and yeah. you need to have good infrastructure you need to have you need i always feel like you need a kumu um you always need a kumu you you need a, the source they are your source they are your relationship to hula um anything other than that oh god this is going to sound really really bad but i don't really take seriously um simply because you're just kind of making it up as you go along yeah. um there's no foundation to anyone without a source there is no um eo there's no meat um and there's no lineage there's no place that your hula comes from it's just what you you perceive hula to be um so that it is kind of a controversial topic or or question and I'm okay with controversial questions. I just I don't know what the answer is. Um because I I I do think that everybody I want everybody to to um if they have the passion for it or even just mere desire to learn, why not? Why not? You know, but if there is no one to teach them how do you start learning hula? Definitely not YouTube. I just going to say that. Just put it out there. Definitely not YouTube. YouTube is never a good place to um or videos Mary Monarch videos is never a good place to start hula. Yeah, no, because those are professionals out there. No. More than that. That's not your hula. That's somebody else's hula. Somebody else's lineage. Somebody else's knowledge. Somebody else's work um and and spiritual work and and that's really important to know um it's it's not yours 
you know no matter how much you think oh that's so pretty i just i just love we've had people copy um and and repost on on uh youtube the same choreography i've never taught this person that choreography ever the same choreography um and and yes she you know that one incident she looked like she loved what she was doing and i just had to you know write back to the person who posted and said i'm really sorry but um i'm gonna have to ask you to take that down um and they came back with you know we're so sorry we we didn't think that it was going to be offensive and i just told them it it doesn't have anything to do really to about for me personally i have an obligation to my kumu mm. and their lineage and what they taught me um if i didn't formally teach you even in a workshop in a workshop i i open it up i uh, and you're free to use what i teach in workshops but i i plan that right I, we we prepare for that um when we're doing a performance, someone videos it, puts it on YouTube, and then somebody else takes it and makes it their own. Number one, I'm still responsible for that hula. And I'm also now responsible for you because you decided to take on that responsibility. And I don't want I don't want that responsibility. It's really um for people who don't believe that philosophy, it's really, it's really um, hard to understand. But basically, the, the most basic way I can put it is, it's not yours. Mm. Yeah, and so I'm definitely not starting hula is going to YouTube to start hula is not a good idea. Um, no, find, find a kumu or a workshop that's going on. Or find like a kumu that. or a workshop um and 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 some place where you can even workshops i'm very weary about um teaching beginner workshops because they come and they take your workshop um and then and then what and then where like we teach hula for hula to progress not for any individual to progress and and it sounds and yes it sounds very selfish and we tell our students this all the time hula is a very jealous person hula wants all your time hula wants all your energy for the single and only sole purpose of the preservation perpetuation and practice of hula that's why we as hula dancers and hula practitioners have to understand that halal is not for the individual and and we teach our students that all the time halal is not for the individual because the only individual that matters or that should matter is hula mm. and that's a hard pill to swallow yeah it is it and is. it's also really strange and beautiful to see how people take those philosophies into dance and when people see it as like just a dance they don't understand the um 
spiritual mm-hmm. stuff that goes into doing it. Right, right, right. And 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 you know, so you're in in California, right? Yeah. And for people who take on that seriously, take on that that um, kuleana or that privilege and responsibility of hula, I, I give them a lot of credit. I being away from Hawaii. Hawaii is the big kahua or the big foundation um, because hula is Hawaiian. Hula is um, location-based. The farther you get from Hawaii, you can see the effects on those hula. Um, So I, 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 I... but. I also still give a lot of credit to those who desire to perpetuate the culture if they're perpetuating it for the culture. Mm. Um, not for and, themselves, and, not for anyone else. It's for the culture. Right, and all, and with that being said, if I truly believe if you do it for the culture, if you do it for Hula's sake, you will benefit. You will benefit. Um, people people always like to throw this in our faces as Kumuhula. Yeah, but you guys get paid for it, right? You guys, um, you're not doing it for the culture. You're getting paid. And I'm like, yeah. But my intention, before I started getting paid, I was doing this for free. And the, the reason why I'm starting to get paid is to pay for rent and pay for things to operate. But I also know my worth. And I'm sorry. No, sorry. No, sorry. Continue. Oh no, no. Um, but I also know my worth, and I. Why? So somebody said, "Well, shouldn't hula be for free?" And I'm like, "For who? You know, to be for who? Who? So you're expecting me to give you free hula because hula is, um, hula is not for everyone." Um, and and what did you do? Yeah, and what did you do to gain free hula from me? Yeah, why do I owe you free hula? I owe hula free me, right? Um, and, and people don't understand that that you know, without me, if you don't malama and and um, take care of the kumu, the source, without me, if this is I'm gonna put all my energies into hula and not get paid. I'm gonna number one starve, number one not have a house, number one not have a car, number one, another um thing is we won't have a space. And and then then and then what? How does that how does hula thrive then? You know, so we kinda kinda gotta use our um logic and, and common sense, to be really quite honest. Um, but people love to throw that in Kumuhula's face, faces. And they think that we're rich. Some of them are. I am not one of them. <laughs> well, um, I want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak with you. I have massive respects for you and what you're doing. Thank you. But um, I have some things to do. Again, thank you very much for coming and spending your time to talk. Thank you so much, Sophia. You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.